Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Eric. Hello, Ward. Uh, we we both said hello at the same time. I I heard yours after I said it. Well, let's just let everybody know that this is a different one because this is the first time we've done. Well, it's the second time we've done a podcast where we aren't in the same place. Where are right. you right now? I'm in a parking lot north of Tucson, outside of Nico's Taco Shop, because I've got two full bars on my cell phone. Where are you? I am in Encino, California, in a uh, in a parking lot with the windows of my car closed, and I lit up a cigar for this podcast because I felt like I just needed something to enjoy while we dive into what we're going to dive into today. Right, right, because the, the context, the content, and the context of what we have to discuss is not happiness. It's not happiness, but, you know, you and I have not discussed a lot about what we're going to talk about. The first thing we should do is say, even though we are, you know, hundreds of miles apart from each other, we are able to do this podcast because we are powered by pigs. Yeah, that pretty much summed up the mood of the message board recently. Yeah, that's all I got. I felt like I should do my pig siren call to reflect the mood that I'm in. And that's kind of the mood I'm in right now. Just, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not so happy, but Ward, I had a thought. Okay. Before, before we get into what we're going to get into, I thought it might be good to focus on some positives. We'll take a, we'll take a page from the assembly call and their banner moment that they start with every day. Sure. I thought, since what we're doing on this podcast is we're not doing one of our interviews. It's the year end. It's been a year since we started the podcast. It's the last one of 2019. I thought we could just take a few minutes to reflect back on this last year and maybe just go back and forth on some great moments that we remember that were happy times or things that really stick out to us from our year on the podcast uh, and all the people we've talked to. Okay, good, because when you said you wanted to talk about positives, 
I was like, why? If this is going to be talking about, you know, our basketball team, it's going to be a real quick segment. But, yeah, if you want to talk about <laughs> this most unexpected year uh, of our podcast, the podcast we didn't even know we were going to do uh, a little over a year ago, sure. Yeah, there's there are some good memories there for sure. And and I think just for ground rules, let's let's just alternate uh, like memories that stick out to us from the last year. But let's exclude the event because we know that we've spent quite a bit of time talking about the event. Clearly, that would be a highlight for both of us. Yes, so that's yes. kind of a given. But that's fine. Because because I kind of sprung this on you and I have been thinking about it for about five minutes. I will. I'll lead it off with a, a memory of the podcast that sticks out to me. Please. Uh, there's so many, but one of the many was Sharon Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. That, like, when I think about all the interviews we have done and every one, like, if you just look at the names, there's just something to take from every single one of them, multiple things to take. But the Sharon one felt so. I don't mean to say this and sound like an asshole, but it felt important. It felt important for Sharon. It felt important for like us as fans. And it felt important for me personally, because I, you know, you and I were at school. I was at school my freshman year when Sharon was there. And I, I had this like lingering resentment towards him because of how his career at Indiana ended. And talking to him for the several hours that we did and getting to know him and hearing him talk about his love of Indiana and the pain that he has gone through because of the mistakes that he made and how much he wanted to rectify that. It has stuck with me. And we we have built a little bit of a relationship you and I with Sharon that has continued. And he, 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 we reached out to each other over the holidays and wished each other Merry Christmas and happy holidays and had a little, a nice exchange. Then that interview to me just made me feel like it was the crystallization to me of why Indiana basketball is more than just rooting for a team to score more points than the other team. We, we are this family and that, that singular podcast uh, just kind of filled me with that feeling. So that I will start with that one. Yeah, you get all the warm, warm fuzzies, the warm feelings from from the Sharon, you know, not only doing that initial interview, uh, but even then getting to meet him in person at the event. There was just a lot of a lot of weight and heart to all those interactions. The stakes clearly seemed higher than just like, let's let's talk about um, the good old days. And yeah, I think that's yeah. one that, that sticks with us. And, and this is in mind, but in that vein, you know, I think you you talk about a Pat Graham and a Todd Leary of ones where, whether it's through injury or or even stuff that happened to them after their time at IU, um, going going through first in you know conversation uh, with these guys, you know, the, the hardship it is part of what family is, right? And friendship is, and. And yeah. if we really do, as as a bunch of Hoosiers, think of ourselves as a family, it's about, you know, sticking by our people through those times. And as with family members, sometimes there's estrangement or distance, but it certainly feels like with Sharon, first and foremost, and, and some of these other guys, uh, that that there, there has been a healing um, aspect to 
to what's been going on with the podcast, which we never could have anticipated uh, when we got started and certainly has given it more meaning than I would have thought, you know, going beyond just making people laugh and smile, thinking about IU basketball. Um, but I think, you know, for me, what jumps out is something we've touched on, but I, I, I brought it up last night with my father-in-law. I'm here staying at my in-laws outside of Tucson in the, uh, Robson Retirement Community of Saddlebrook. And uh, <laughs> are they about... sponsoring us now? Are they sponsoring us? Did we just give yeah. them a shout out? Well, you know what? I, I would give them a shout out if they had any kind of cell service within 20 miles of their establishment. But as a result, that's why I'm outside of Nico's Taco Shop on Oracle Road is because <laughs> you cannot do anything besides a landline inside the parameters of Saddlebrook. So no, they will they will not be getting a uh uh any kind of endorsement from me, but I said their name, so we'll leave it. <laughs> All right, very good. All right, so what is yours that was sticking out to you? So I I brought up our interview with Dr. Steve Green and and of course he's one of the most gregarious, uh delightful, entertaining, funny, engaging people we spoke to. And we spoke to a lot of former players and coaches who fit those criteria, but he even shines above, above the best of the best, just in pure entertainment value. But to me, it was, it was finding that guy who literally connected us in our podcast and thus the listeners all the way back to Everett Dean, you know, and then, yeah. oh, by, has by the way, by the way, Ward in a text exchange that you and I were having with some of our friends, who we have found through the podcast today, you made an Everett Dean reference, which I know you, you know, Indiana history very well, but you and I have talked a lot about Indiana basketball in our relationship. You've never brought up Everett Dean before you brought up an Everett Dean reference, which I, which made me laugh in the text exchange. It was funny, but also I feel like, Oh yeah, we're connected to him now because of Steve green. That's exactly what I thought when I read that. That that what that's what it is is to to have that that connection going all the way back not just through a, a history book of of Indiana basketball players and coaches and their numbers but no with with uh, with Steve Green the most entertaining man on earth uh, telling us all about meeting Everett Dean and knowing not only Coach McCracken but his wife and even after Coach McCracken was no longer coach that when his wife was in the stands you know that that. Steve wanted to impress her and represent Indiana University well because she was present. And then, you know, he brings that to the table right at the same time Bobby Knight is showing up to be, you know, the new coach, and he's the first ever recruit of, of Coach Knight. And and then you take it all the way through, uh, you know, us all being in Bloomington together a few weeks ago. And, and when somebody like that was, was kind enough and gracious enough and generous enough with his time to – to not only speak with us on the podcast, but show up at the event and really be a part of of the the community, the the IU basketball community that has participated in this podcast. It's it's so it's so cool. It really it really gives me a greater respect for everything that happened before Coach Knight because it's it's really hard to to fully appreciate that when it is only through maybe a couple of our 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 dads and, and their friends or uncles who can relate some of those stories. But really that, that information and that insight is so much harder to come by in our lifetimes 
in Coach Knight and, and since then. So that, that to me has been really rewarding and really fun. Uh, just to follow up on that, you're so right. After that Steve Green interview, one of the people that listens to our podcast, I don't want to give her name out because I didn't ask her if I could use her name, but she reached out to us via Twitter, uh, like with a DM, and grew up in Indiana, went to games with her dad, you know, huge fan of the program, connected to its history, and told me that she worked uh, years and I mean, this is years and years and years ago. She worked at a, I believe, a either a nursing home or a home for elderly people that um, Everett Dean was staying at wow. in his later years. And she tended to him. And he used to watch Bobby Knight's teams on the television or listening to him on the radio, and he would refer to them as, yeah, we got to watch Bobby and his boys. And I wow. just thought, wow, like so cool that our we do this podcast with Steve Green. A woman hears it. Here's the Everett Dean connection. She has a personal Everett Dean connection and, and connects it to Bobby Knight. I had the, It was such such a cool thing. And you're right. Steve Green was that connective tissue through all the eras for us more than, than any other single interview we've done. Well, and then, and um, then she says that to you, and then you say it to me, and then all the listeners get to hear it, and and now we all have that that warm fuzzy feeling knowing that Coach Dean, you know, decades after his time at IU, uh, is still in 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 the golden years of his life. That's still really important to him, his connection to IU and what was going on at the time. Right. It's it's all full circle, totally. which is it was beautiful. Um. Another one that sticks out for me, going back to the earlier part of the year, you know, I'm 42 years old. Ward, you're 41, right? Yeah, yeah, a young 41. A young 40. I'm an old 42. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a very yeah. old 42. <laughs> um, but I would say, I, I think you're going to agree with me here, but the the even though Isaiah Thomas played for Indiana while we were alive in, in, in 80 and 81, Right, we were shooting a little pants. too young to really enjoy that. But yeah. the single best player that we have seen play at Indiana in our, let's call it, 35 years of being conscious of Indiana basketball and being able mm-hmm. to watch it live is Calvert Cheney. 100%. And I know that he is your favorite player of all time. He is certainly, you know, depending on the day, he's 1 or 1A one for me, you know. Um, and and when this podcast first started, and we didn't have a lot of listeners, and nobody really knew who we were at all, not that anybody really knows who we are now, but, but we were just starting, and we reached out to Calbert Cheney, and all we had to say was, we're just two guys who love Indiana basketball and respect what he did for Indiana and would love to talk to him, and it took no spin or sales job or anything. He was like, yes. Let's set a time. And then Calbert took, what, two hours to talk to us? Two guys he'd never met, he'd never heard of. And yep. this is a lot, NBA lottery pick, college basketball Hall of Famer, all-time Big Ten champion scorer. And National Collegiate Player, player of the Year by every, yes. you know, yes. every award he yes. won that year, everyone he swept the awards. Yes. And we got to talk to him and just kind of geek out. 
talking to a guy that we so revered and throughout this podcast and we've done, you know, about 50 episodes or so and probably about 45 interviews or so. And anyone who was connected to Calvert Cheney, who played with him or came after him and, and respected him, they rave about him as a person as much as they do uh, about him as a player. And we know how good he was as a player. And we got to experience a little bit of that. It was just one of those, holy crap, we get to talk to Calvert Cheney moments. And he couldn't have been more gracious. And we are... For those of you who have not had a chance to listen to that podcast, I suggest going back and listening to it because we got through his Indiana playing career, but then had to like stop it because there was so much more to talk about and we wanted to set up a part two. So part two of Calvert Cheney will happen in 2020. And uh, just as a fan, being able to talk to Calvert Cheney was just a geek out moment of a lifetime for, for me and I, I think for you as well. Yeah, yeah, I almost quit the podcast right after that. I was like, Dude, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what else yeah, for no, you? That was a thrill. That was a thrill. Um, you know, and to to well, and you did get to see him for for a moment, for a little bit there at the the basketball camp, right? I did, and he he couldn't have been more gracious. And like when I introduced myself and said, you know, I'm part of Hoosier Hysterics, he immediately like embraced me and we chatted. And then I think I said this when I came back from the camp, I got to be in a room with a busted butthole being iced up by Tim Garl while Tim and Calbert Cheney had about a 15 minute conversation, just chatting about life and their kids before Calbert had to get back on the road and, and had a prior commitment. But I just got to watch that. And yeah. there is just something so special and I think you've said this too. Every player who's played for Indiana is incredibly special for us to talk to. And they all have a story that is worth hearing. But there is something special about those Bob Knight players. They just, there is something that he, you know, recruited that, uh, and that era of Indiana from, from really, you know, mid, early to mid 70s through, through the mid 90s. It's just a special slice of time and, and getting to talk to him and, and meet him for even a few seconds, few minutes. Yeah. It was a thrill of a lifetime. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those, I can't believe we're doing this. Uh, Cause I remember, you know, you went and, and got real, real microphones and a real recorder for the first time when we'd landed Calvert, we could no longer do That's the right. That's right. blue Yeti microphone in, in between us. <laughs> we said, Oh, shoot, right. we got to take this up a notch. Um, and it was such a trip as it happened and listening back to it. And it is, I'm, I'm almost glad we haven't rushed for part two on that one because it's something I've been looking forward to ever since part one and, and can't wait, can't wait to continue that conversation. And, and I think the segue of you actually having got to meet with him in person, I'm going to skim. It's going to skirt the idea of the event because I have to bring up the event for the, the, the bigger picture thing I want to highlight as a as a true favorite for me that has come out of the podcast, which is getting to know uh, people personally, for example, Rabby, Jeff Rab John, yes. you know, Ken, got to meet Ken back in Bloomington, and then you brought them up earlier, and this is what really jumped out to me was, you know, 
Steve and Cliff, and you have to actually meet Mike, who couldn't make it back to Bloomington, but now we've got these good buddies in New York City who we text with after games, you know, and, and to me, it's just like, oh, I've got more friends now than I did when we started this podcast who are, you know, and the criteria, the friendship criteria to get into the country club is you have to be as fanatical about Indiana basketball as, as we are. And it's a, it's a fairly right. high bar. A year ago, I never would have thought, hey, let's go do this podcast in my garage. And then a year from now, right. we're going to have some like really great friends in New York City who will take you out to eat the next time you're there. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, by the way, it's and, pretty and special. You, you bring up a great point. I wish we, I wish we, I would have thought more about that because there's people like Ron Freed, there's people like Dr. Eric Nabel, uh, there's people um, like Sam Story, there's people. There are so there are countless people. Bill Murphy, who has helped us as as a as a historian of Indiana basketball, helped us with the Steve Downing interview. He's helping Evan us, Martin uh, do Evan an interview. Martin. Yes, Evan Martin, my God, who's become like a very good friend. Jared Morris of Assembly Call, who's become a friend. But I mean, Evan Martin, the who the, the Malcolmsons, absolutely. And and a special shout out to I want to say to Evan Martin because he's not only just a personal friend, but helped us put on the event. And, and all these people offered to help us. Like if there was anything they could do to help us, they were, and some of these people like Jared Morris host and the Malcolmsons, they host what could be considered competitive podcasts. And, and by the way, I, I, I say that almost laughingly because we, we can't possibly compete with what these other guys are doing, but they are, they, they have welcomed us into this community and, and I, I'm, I know I'm leaving out certain people, and I apologize for that, but there have been so many people who have reached out to us, and we have formed these friendships that are all better friendships than they would otherwise have been because of Indiana basketball. I mean, they wouldn't have existed without Indiana yeah, yeah, basketball. That's, that's the only but, reason we've got all these new friends a year later. It's, it's really remarkable. One more uh, positive memory, and then I want to I do like the – what sticks out is the funniest thing that you remember from the year. Sure. Uh, but one more positive sure. for me and then a positive from you. I'm just screw my own rule about the event. Mm-hmm. My, this memory is, uh, is, is there, there are two moments, but they are tied together. Being able to hold a microphone on stage in front of a thousand crazy Indiana fans and about 20 former players and being able to introduce Coach Robert Montgomery Knight is just something that will never cease being surreal and emotional. And then watching him walk up on stage and seeing my dear friend Ward Roberts walk up to him, shake his hand, and watch you two together, and you being the first person to like welcome him on stage in front of that group. I just have this memory in my head. It is like it happened this morning. And it, I feel like it will always remain this vivid. You in our stupid suits, shaking Coach Knight's <laughs> hand. Um, it was just, I couldn't believe it was happening. I couldn't believe it was happening. So those little moments from obviously the bigger issue of just him being there, but those little moments to me, it was just, 
Yeah, be- beyond normal emotion. So that'll be my last uh, positive of the year. Well, you know, to piggyback on that, I would say the fact that those stupid suits you got us within, um, I'm going to say within five hours of having put on that suit and worn it walking to the Bluebird and then at the event in the Bluebird, within five hours of wearing that suit, I had been insulted by both Coach Bobby Knight and Coach Archie Miller for wearing that suit. And that was the first thing either of them said to me ever was to make a crack about me or us in Coach Knight's place of wearing those suits. I I think you really nailed it with those suits. Um, I'm just so glad the first time I met Coach Miller, I was wearing that suit, and I was inside an elevator, and I had nowhere to run, and I had to introduce myself and tell him exactly who I was. Oh, yeah, so thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate that. And I, 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 I think that uh, that is a, a perfect way to segue on to, I mean, to me, I guess I thought of that even before you were breaking the event rule when you said, what is the funniest yeah. memory? And it was that, that like, and I, yeah, I told yeah. it on the podcast, right? What, what Coach Miller yes. said to me in the yes. elevator, right? So, yeah, yeah go ahead and rehash it, though. Well, it was uh, I, I was in the elevator uh, catching up with you at the Bluebird. I was like 10 minutes behind you, so I had the audio equipment, and I'm on the fifth floor, and I knew the team had stayed there the night before, but I, I just had only seen players. So on the third floor, I stop at the third floor, and the door is open, and, and the 8-foot-8 eight eight Mike Roberts walks in, um, <laughs> followed by – Coach Archie Miller, and, and there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, and I just stuck out my hand to, to both of them, and and Coach Roberts first, and then Coach Miller. I said, Ward Roberts, who's your hysterics podcast, and 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 Archie stood next to me, and the very first word out of his mouth, he looked me up and down, and he just said, "Wow," and uh, <laughs> and that was, and, 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 oh yeah, and then I said, and I was like, oh, you know which one of us picked out these suits, and he goes, not you. I'm like, that, yes, that is correct. Threw you under the bus immediately. Phenomenal. Um, well, that is yeah. a uh, that is a great – if I had to remember one, the one that just keeps sticking out to me, which may be funnier to you and I than anyone else, is when we were interviewing Colin Hartman, again, fairly early on in our run. And in one interview with Colin Hartman, you put your foot in your mouth by uh, – by talking about Colin Hartman, what we thought was his storybook fairy tale uh, marriage to his wife that he proposed to at senior day, uh, his his first senior year, uh, yep. that 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 he then broke the news to us that he broke up with her for the very simple reason that he didn't want to give her half his money, which I thought was <laughs> hilarious, and so. And now I'm I'm like fudging the memory on whether or not that came first in the interview. I think it did. And then I was so happy that you put your foot in your mouth and wanted to mercilessly make fun of you forever for it. And right. then later in the interview, later in the interview, I mercilessly made fun of Stanford Robinson for mm-hmm. switching hands because he didn't know which hand to shoot with. And I just thought that was the funniest, most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen at Indiana at high-level Division One basketball. And Colin Hartman breaks the news that he switched to his left hand originally because his good friend in high school passed away, and this was his tribute to him. And here I am, mm-hmm. like, yucking it up, making fun <laughs> of him. So that, that I, moment, I, like, t- 
was perfect because to me it was the perfect example of how you know when we when we set up these interviews with with the players one of the first things i say to them is listen we're not journalists like there's no we're not trying to break news like we're just trying to have fun and talk to you the way that we would talk to you if we were just having beers at a or seltzers if you will at a bar uh because ward and i are not drinkers but but that's we, what we, we have it other to be. vices though yeah we do and and uh that sounded horrible though that that sounded like i'm like like murdering hookers or something by saying hey, that just let their imagination run wild what those other vices <laughs> might be um but I just thought, what a perfect example of how, yeah, we are clearly not journalists, that we didn't do enough homework to know that he didn't marry the girl and that Stanford was paying tribute to a dead friend. That's the Hoosier right. hysterics, baby. That's, that, you get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> Every penny's worth. <laughs> All right. So, look, amazing year. We have no intention of stopping. Lots more interviews to come in 2020. But here we are, almost exactly two and a half years into the Archie Miller era at Indiana. Our podcast really started with you and I arguing about, you know, the first two years or the first year and a half, I should say, and, and, and how bad that was and how, you know, how long is it going to take to get back? And one of our very first arguments and kind of the fundamental argument was how long is it going to take to get back? And more importantly, how long is it going to take for us to know that this is the right thing going forward? And the, you know, you're in a fishbowl at Indiana and every game is more magnified than anywhere else. And here we are two and a half seasons in and I think everybody can agree. We're just not in a great place. I mean, no. there's really good stuff happening, largely from recruiting. I think everybody's been pretty happy with the recruiting, although I, I can get into that a little bit. I'd like to get into that. Yeah, yeah I'd like to get yeah. into it. But but here we are two and a half seasons in. We lost to Arkansas at home. We're 11-2. and two. We're basically exactly where we were last year, heading into the yep. conference season. Um, and you know, everybody's up in arms on the Peaks message boards. I understand it. You and I have had some text exchanges about it. But let's let's just dive into it. What, where are you right now on what you're seeing on the court? Let's start with that. Where are you right now with what you're seeing on the court? Well, it you know, it is amazing how mercurial uh, my feelings are, especially during the game. So I'm watching what's happening on the court. And this is during the game last night where we have things, you know, somewhat in hand and under control for most of the game, as we have had here several of these games against, you know, the other bigger schools where we seem to be in control for a good chunk of the game. And you're like, hey, this is a, a power five school and, and we've got this in hand. And you know what we do this, you know, we got 10, 11 players we can roll out here and, and, you know, Trace is doing great, but we don't have that one huge superstar. And, you know, we're really building this thing up evenly. And a lot of these guys, they, they haven't actually been on the court that much for Archie. It's not like they've been playing for him for three years. These guys are 
they're still pretty new to all this and each other too. And oh my God, we blew the lead. We lost it. It's over. God, Archie is the worst. Fire everybody and start again. Like it just turns that quickly. Like it happens within ten minutes of gameplay. I feel like okay, the 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 projection how it's going to go this season into the next and the next, I can see it all. And it's good. And it's a bunch of like good, solid four stars with a, an occasional good five star really bringing it home. And Oh no, it's a disaster. And we're no better off. We were two years ago and I hate everybody and everything. And, and so where I'm at right now today, I'm a little more evened out than I was last night, but I am hard pressed to be like, what is this thing consistently happening on the floor? night in and night out, that we can hang our hat on and say, this is progress. Right, right. I, I think that's a great point. And look, I'm trying hard not to react to one game. By the way, I'm trying hard not to react to one game, good or bad. Like, I tried not to react too positively to the Florida State game because right, it was the Marquette game last year. Like, Green was a yeah. free show. But Green was a free show in Florida State. Like, Marquette, we look like a great team. Everybody contributed. With Florida State, it was like Devontae went crazy. Right. For me, where I come out, and I know it's simplistic. I do. And I try to look at the numbers. I'm looking at Ken Palm numbers and Bart Torvik ratings. And you look That's at depressing. the numbers. and. Yeah, I mean, there's just a couple things that stand out. And the biggest thing to me is, defensively, we are significantly worse by almost every measure than we were last year. I don't understand that. Year one, we heard the excuse, and, and and I don't say excuse pejoratively here. Sometimes excuses are legitimate, that it takes a while for the pack line to be instituted. And he's got to get his guys. Okay, but even if he doesn't get his guys, clearly after two years, you're going to get better. Like a really good coaching system can change, can make guys, you know, incrementally better than they were. We are worse than we were last year from a, from a defensive standpoint. Offensively, look, I, I don't know. I think there are times where we look better. We're, we're not a good shooting team, period. We're now, I looked at the ratings we are now settled into like 200th in the country in three-point shooting after a couple games early on where it looked like we were going to be better. We're about 200, which is not good at all. And and a lot of that is talent, and a lot of that is recruiting, and a lot of that is development. And it just hasn't happened. But but overall, you know, I think probably overall offensively, we're better than where we were last year 13 games into the season. We don't have a guy we can just give the ball to like Romeo, get to the rim. Devontae can get a shot off. Trace needs help getting the ball, but he, he's been a, a, he's overachieved. But we just aren't as good defensively, and I just try to take a step back and go, we should be better. We should just be better than we are, and I don't see any team identity. I just don't. I don't like that we continue to play against teams with coaches that are young or have only been there for one or two seasons and their teams seem to be more in tune with the personality of their coach than our team is with our coach. I don't understand it. And, and I, 
I, I have appreciated listening to Brian Snow and Jeff Rabjohns give us bigger perspectives, even Jeff Van Gundy, like a bigger coach's perspective, a, a journalist's perspective, you know, people that really study the game. I get all of the things around the program, but on the court, we should be better than we are. And that is exceedingly frustrating. And I think what you said at the end there is the biggest frustration and why people freak out after every game. Because the frustration is we know we haven't turned the corner yet, but we want to know that the corner is within eyesight and we see it happening and we're inching towards it. And it is hard to look at the product on the court and say, yeah, it's just right there. It doesn't feel like we're right there. It feels like we're further away from it than we were last year. And that is frustrating. Even if we're at the same place we were last year, and it's like, okay, you take away two great players in Romeo and Juwan, Trace is in there performing at the level of of kind of either one of those guys. That's almost like an even trade if you look at, at production you're still missing like one other sort of consistent go-to guy, but you're like, but, but we're deeper. And, and we do have more experience with some of the younger guys now. But, but, but what I, and I think this was in the text with the New York guys earlier, I was just like, I want to see whatever our talent and experience level is at. I want to see our team overachieve. And this right. may be the thing that you always kind of, being raised in the age of, of Coach Knight, born into the age of Coach Knight, you're used to seeing players on the court who maybe individually aren't the greatest, but the sum of their parts is always greater than who they would be individually. And, and a, a big Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess just through the two and a half seasons, there just hasn't been much indication that we are, we are playing up to or even beyond the sum of our parts. And and that's what I I agree to me is, is that like I, I was I couldn't wait to see a scrappy um, decimated bunch of players under Coach Miller come in and play better than what we've seen in the previous years just because the coaching was clearly better like I I just have not seen the evidence of that to date I I, I agree with you. I think that in the end. What you want for a good coach, you know, and I'm going from the scale of like good to excellent, a good coach makes the whole of a team better than the sum of its parts, period. That's it. Because anybody can make, you know, anybody can come in. A mediocre coach can take a group of talent and make them play at the level that they're at. That's, that's, that's not a team. That's just individuals playing pickup basketball. But good coaching – <laughs> good coaching, good coaching elevates the group and makes it a team. And we aren't elevated. And I'm tired of the excuses of the cream players, even though I think there's legitimacy to it. I do. I think that, you know, Archie Miller, clean sheet of paper, the players that Tom Crean had on the team, I don't think he would have even recruited any of them. I honestly don't. I don't think I don't think he would have gone and recruited an Al Durham, a Devontae Green, a Justin Smith. Like I don't think they're they're and I'm not saying they're bad players. I'm saying 
Archie's system, I don't think he would have gone for them. Fine. But it's year three. You have to be able to reach kids and make them better and fit into your system. And if they don't, and if you can't reach them for whatever reason, then you know what? I'd be happier seeing a walk-on play. And, and Archie just say, this walk-on is going to play the way I want them to, even if we get beat. But I'm not going to stand for selfish play or non-emotional play or not getting the de- hustling your ass on every defensive possession. Like, uh, you don't see any of that happening on our team. And so we just lose with what we have or we win ugly with what we have. And it's why some of these wins against Nebraska and Notre Dame and UConn haven't felt fulfilling because I think everybody who looks at the games knows if the ball bounced the other way on one possession, we lose those games and we shouldn't be losing those games or in those games in one possession games. We are better than them. We should be better than them. And well, and that's it. When I you're think- seeing what, what Hoiberg got out of Nebraska, at least against us, and then clearly against Purdue right after us, like that's what I wanted to see from our team in like Archie's first year, right? Like, whoa, like these guys should not be – competing on the road against the Big Ten opponent yet like they are right now. And that, even though, you know, their talent and lack of experience is, is going to get the best of them most of the time through this season, that's a coach who's already getting his players to play like a team. Yep. Agreed. So I'm going to ask you, when you and I started this podcast a year ago, our major argument was when will we know? When will we know that he's the guy? I am doubling down on by the end of this season, we will know. I am not saying, I want to be clear, I am not saying that if we don't make the tournament this year, that they should fire Archie. I'm not saying that because that's not a good look for Indiana to cycle coaches in three-year increments. That's not good. And he still does have a significant part of the team that isn't what he recruited. But I just feel like in two months' time, you're going to look back at these 30 games this year and be able to know that things are moving in the direction they need to move in or they're not. And so I'm going to stick with, at the end of this season, I I will feel confident in knowing this is – he is the guy. Look at how we improved. Now we get his guys in more and more. It's going to happen. Or we did not improve at all. We missed the tournament again. More of his system was in place. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Where are you at? I will double down on four years. And even when you just now said in two months from now, I will know. I'm like, no way two months from now will I know. One, I know how much the pendulum swings for me just what's going on from one possession to the next. But two, well, let's say two is also hearing all the objective, rational, uh, way more expert opinions of, of folks like Jeff Rabjohn and, and Brian Snow. You know, that, that also helps me sort of temper a little bit of my own uh, paranoia and neuroses about where all this is headed. But really what it comes down for me, inside of me, is like, God, Trace and Joey 
and Armand and Rob is obviously struggling, but I still feel like that's just where he's at physically. And then I think about even what, what race I think still has potential of doing. Jerome, if he comes all the way back, Demisi, and then you throw in some guys like Neil and Galloway and Geronimo next year. And, and I still feel like that those players, those true 100% RT guys, who all of them are going to get another, you know, what, 15, 20 games under their belt together this season, that that, that is a team, even if we end up going 8-12 and 12 in the, the conference this year and just missing the tournament again, I will be horribly upset and disappointed and somewhat pessimistic. But I also think that for all those reasons I just mentioned, next year, all those players having more time together and you add a couple, three more in, that could be a much, much better team. That could be a, a top 15 team that competes in the conference and could easily make a run to the Sweet 16 next year. If we if we go 8-12 and 12 this year in conference, we are not going to narrowly miss the tournament. If we go eight and twelve this year, which means that we finish with a record of what uh, eighteen and thirteen, I think 14. is what it would come. We have now, eleven. Wins, we, right? we have eleven wins now, but if we go eight and twelve, it means we win only seven more games. So we'd be eighteen. Oh right, I forgot we already played two games. Yeah, so yeah, we, that's not narrowly missing the tournament. That's not first four out. That's not on the bubble. 8-12 and 12 this year is not going to cut it because we only have one really great win, and it was a home win. So I, don't th- I think if we go 8-12 and 12 this year, I will know. And I think, I, think, I think the seat next year for Archie gets extremely warm. But on the flip side, if the team grows and wins some games that we don't think they will and goes 11-9 and nine in conference, 12-8, and eight, I'll feel really good. I'll feel really good. But you so, won't know the I don't other know. way. It, it seems to me like you could only be sure at the end of the season that Archie is not the guy. There's probably no. Not I disagree. For this team. You you think either way? I, you will definitely know he will, or, or he is, or he isn't. Either way, you'll know by the end of the season. Well, look. I guess the 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 flip side is if we go ten and ten in conference, it's going to be mm-hmm. like kissing your sister, and 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 maybe not. So I'll I'll leave room for that. But I. I think this team is either going to crater and fall off a cliff or really click. And if we really click, and by the way, really clicking for me means going 11 and nine or 12 and eight, I will feel extremely confident. And I will feel extremely confident that Archie is the guy and this is going to work. But I want to say this about, because you mentioned the players for next year. Mm -hmm. Missing Dawson Garcia was a huge blow. Trey, Galloway, Anthony Leo, Jordan Geronimo, I'm very excited to have them part of Indiana. But this will be back-to-back recruiting classes for Indiana that do not rank in the top 30 in the country. I did a little research on that. It doesn't happen for top programs. And I'm not talking about top five programs. I'm talking about top 15, top 20 programs. You do not back-to-back have sub-top 30 recruiting classes. It, mm. If it happens, it is so rare. Last year's class has Trace in it and Armand, and I love them both. But Archie, 
you know, he missed on a bunch of guys, which is why the class is only two people. Remember, we don't have 13 scholarship players. We have 11 scholarship players. He held two spots. He didn't, and, and I do not buy the narrative that he held two spots because he, he likes to hold two spots. He held two spots because the guys he offered said no. Anthony mm-hmm. Harris, he would have taken. You know, Lester Canones from Memphis, he would have taken. Like, they missed on him. The, the, we don't have enough talent in that class, but we do have Trace and Armand, which will be great players. But now next year, those are all guys that are ranked like 80 and lower. They're going to be really good players if they stay and grow and develop, but they're not big-time impact players. And I go back to, again, you do not deliver back-to-back sub-top 30 classes at a top program and, at a top program and expect to be a top program. Like, we just don't have enough talent. And if your excuse, if your rationale is that Archie still needs his players in, great. Then he's got to replace them with better players. And right now, the 2019 and 2020 back-to-back overall recruiting classes aren't good enough. They're good players. They'll develop. But it's not good enough to make us go to the next level. It's not good enough. Uh, I, and, I, and I'm not insulting any player in these classes. The, Jordan Geronimo could turn into the next Victor Oladipo if he has the work ethic. And, like, okay, I mean, he could. Victor Oladipo was like a once-in-a-generation recruit who was unheralded and turns into the number two pick in the lottery. That, that doesn't happen often or ever. But I just don't think the talent level is good enough, and I don't think what we have coming in is – enough and and top level good enough and what scares me more than anything is if we miss the tournament this year archie goes out which is likely i mean i don't want to say it's likely but it's very it's as possible as not and if he goes into the recruiting season where he's got to land this 2021 class who everybody thinks almost everybody thinks all the guys are multiple year players. No one really thinks Lander's a one and done and no one thinks Kaufman's a one and done. And who knows if we'll get either one, but he's going to have to go recruit those guys after three years of missing the tournament. They're multiple year guys. And guess what? Every coach who's recruiting against Indiana is going to say to those players and their parents and their coaches, they're going to say, well, yeah, Indiana's great, but is Archie going to be there for his sophomore year? Is Archie going to be there for his junior year? And guess what? Archie's not getting an extension after this year if he misses the tournament. Even if he ekes into the tournament, he probably doesn't get an extension. So that question is going to be something Archie has to answer on the recruiting trail. That's not a good conversation to have. And he's going to have to win huge with the 2021 class. Like huge. I actually think it's a must to get two of those kids. Two of those yeah, top two, Indiana two kids. Two of the number, yeah. And unless, unless you mix in like a Trey Patterson from New Jersey, who's like a top 15 player, him and Lander, that would be amazing. But it's going to get harder for him without turning the program around this year and showing real signs. And that narrative yeah. I am ter- terrified for because – I just don't think we've got the talent in 2020 coming. And, and keep this in mind, Ward, some of those 21 kids are going to wait till the spring of 21 to decide. Well, I don't, feel con- I, I don't feel as confident as you that next year's team is a Sweet 16 team. I just don't because I haven't seen anything on the court that indicates it. And the three players coming into the class next year 
even if you listen to guys like Snow and Rabby, who know them more than we do, they all say Trey Galloway may help you spell ball handling for a little bit next year. But Leal and Geronimo are not guys that are going to come in and kick butt in year one. So I just don't know where the team gets significantly better with a backcourt where Al Durham is still a guy that you're relying on and Justin Smith is your small forward and you're still relying on him. Yes, Jerome Hunter could turn into something, but we haven't seen anything on the court that indicates that. Nothing. Rob Finnessy, well, we want him to. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I don't, I don't want it to be you, you thinking that I'm somehow confident we're a Sweet 16 team next year. Do I think we'll be better next year? Yes. I do, because I think as soon as Devontae Green leaves and everybody else realizes, okay, we're all going to have to contribute on the scoring end because one out of five games, you know, he's not going to score 30 points for us. And and if you're looking at Jerome and Demisi and a healthy Rob, do I think we can start to have some outside shooting that we could rely upon uh, next year, even compared to what can develop this year? Yeah, no, I think all that potential is there. I'm confident. That's what's going to happen next year. That's not true. That would be me being hopeful and optimistic that that this team we have, this core we have, uh, will grow both both as individuals and as a group from this year to next because they've had very little time on the court together. I agree with that. I just think it's all positive bullshit right now. And what worries me, all of that is like hoping that individual players become better shooters, become smarter ball handlers, become better distributors, become better finishers. Like that's all individual development. I still go back to what the hell is the identity of the team? I don't know what it is. We haven't seen, we know what Archie wants it to be. We know what he wants it to be. But we've had, okay. Something we haven't talked about is that we, we have kind of, controlled a lot of these games, Notre Dame, Nebraska, and um, and Arkansas, obviously the three where, like, we just we just totally lost focus and converse, con- concentration for, like, 25% of the game. And in two out of the three, we eased it out. And then last night, we didn't. We just never got it back. So it's like, what if – what if all of those games had we kept our focus for 35 or 36 minutes and we'd won them all by double digits? Like we're not, we weren't that far away from those games having that result and this whole conversation and all of the message boards having a different vibe. And it's like that's to me what's mysterious and frustrating is like, gosh, we look like the team we want to be this year for like 70 percent of of these games. But it's just not a full 40 yet, and, and I can't tell you why that is. But, but I, yeah, I mean, look, and nobody plays a full 40. I know coaches talk about that, but, I mean, my God, <clears throat> Duke and Kentucky and, you know, Louisville, they don't play full 40s either. You know, maybe they play 32, 33, 35. But, like, we've had two and a half seasons of seeing we don't have an overall identity that when things are going bad on offense – at least we're going to make it hard on the other team to score. Arkansas was a terrible offense. Terrible offense. Nebraska was a terrible offense. I'm just looking at their numbers. Bad offenses. They come into our building where it should be uncomfortable for them no matter what. And Arkansas hangs 70 on us. Nebraska goes to overtime but hangs 90 on us. 
our defensive ranking both times goes down. Like, where's the identity that gives you any confidence that, that, that we can hang our hat on anything? And, and, just, and for the people, see it. and for the people like, and I've been in a couple of these text chains of like, Hey, we're, what are we? 11 and two guys calm down. We're 11 and two. And this was even more prevalent no, after true. the last game was I was like, for, for those of you who don't check right now, we're 43 in Sagarin, we're like 40 in Torvik, and we're like 39th in Ken Palm. Maybe not even that. But it, uh, all in all, all, if you average those three together, we're about 41st in the country right now. So uh, wins and losses don't really mean anything. It's like, what did we look like in those wins and losses? Right. And who are they against? And it's, uh, it, that's, no, I want to I I, enter the conference. And I want to just focus one thing on, like, the Ken Palm numbers, for example, and Bart Torvik. All of them, they're, they're all stat-based. The way that you are ranked in Ken Palm, it's, it's, it's like, it's not mystifying. It is how many points per possession do you average on offense, period. That's it. How many points do you average per 100 possessions, because he levels it out, across the all of teams, what would every team, what has every team scored per 100 possessions, and what do you give up per 100 possessions? And he takes the difference between those two numbers and then ranks them. That's how you're ranked. We've played a terrible schedule. We've played awful teams. And so our differential between how much we've scored per 100 and how much we've given up per 100 has put us at the 40th spot versus bad teams. We are 40th in Ken Palm after playing bad teams. What's going to happen now where we play no bad teams? In fact, we play, I think I saw this from an assembly call tweet, we play something like five of our nine, our next nine games against teams ranked in the top eight of Ken Palm. Like, there is a real chance that that Ken Palm ranking goes down to 50. You know, I mean, so I... Yes, I, I like looking at the Ken Palm numbers. I like looking at, like, where rank on three-point shooting and defense more than I like the overall ranking because I just don't buy the overall ranking right now because <laughs> the I, yeah, I, I, I just think it's funny that, like, you think us being ranked around 40th is, is uh, inflated in our favor, which right. is a very sad state of affairs. I mean, I remember yes. when we did our, our Ravi Returns episode, and Jeff said he thought uh, he slotted our boys in at 49, and just the sick feeling in the pit of our stomach we got when he said that, and it's pretty hard to argue with Ravi knowing where to rank a team, especially one he follows so closely. And here we are on the precipice of, of us hitting – that 49 ranking or, or considerably worse with the, the, the level of the competition coming up. You know what also, just to take a step back here, what is more maddening about this whole thing is you and I genuinely love Archie. I think we love what they stand for, how they carry themselves, how there's no BS like there was with Crean. There's not a lot of you know, using uh, words that are just made up. You know, there's not a lot of uh, making excuses in press conferences. There's no weird drink that he's drinking on the sideline. <laughs> like there's, the, there's, there's just, 
There's not a lot of that extra crap to dislike. There's a lot to like about him. And we want it to work so badly, not just because we're tired of 20 years of, of mediocrity with the occasional hopeful moment, but the scary thing I think is we like him. And if it doesn't work with him, what the hell is wrong? Like what the hell is the problem that we cannot get over the hump? And I'm not saying we won't, but that's what's scary. I think that's what's leading to so much of the angst is that, like you said, we're 11 and 2, but any sobering reading of the 11 and 2 goes, how many games did we really look good in? Two? Well, I mean, we really looked good. I mean, like you said, there's parts of games we look good in, but I also want to say this. From the beginning of the year, before we played our first game, Archie, in his media press conferences, talked about how disappointed he was in the defense, that he thought the defense was piss poor. He didn't say piss poor, but he, he vocalized that the defense was way behind. Why? 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 And well, the fact that we're now half the season in, or almost half, and it has not gotten better from beginning of November to end of December is alarming, and it just makes everybody freak the hell out. And I am absolutely prone to freaking the hell out. I'm trying not to freak out for game by game, but I'm just looking overall, and I look at a record of 11-2, and two, in a non-conference schedule that wasn't phenomenal, and I look at last year at 12-2 and two with a non-conference schedule that was better than what we have this year, and I just go, how is it different? And then I look at the Ken Palm defensive statistics. Bart Torvik has us as the 70, I think 75th best defense, 75. And I just go, where is the corner that we're trying to turn? It does not appear close. No. No, and I think, you know, the one-game freakout is it's – and it happened last night. It happened with people I know personally and on message boards, you know, with my in-laws watching the game. It was just like this team is not very good. And we've all been watching basketball for a long time. And it doesn't matter what the record says. You know who the competition is. You know who we're playing – you know how many times we've been playing bad teams and we've still given them very open three-point shots. We've been getting yeah. off the dribble and they've gotten really easy shots at the basket. And the only reason we've been consistently pulling them out is because they are far inferior opponents. And then you have a couple uh, nail biters that you pull out, but really you look at who you're playing and they're like they're mediocre teams like we are. We just happen to have an incredibly rich history that go that that predates that mediocrity and and a fan base that is unwilling to accept the new normal being somewhere in the 30s or 40s or 50s and missing the tournament on a regular basis. And to me, and I'm not saying it isn't Archie. I've already been on record on this very right. episode saying I personally don't think I'm going to know what's going on next season, but I also will say I haven't seen 
anything up to now, you're like, yes, that right there is why I believe this is the coach that's going to lead us back to the promised land. I, and even in a couple exchanges with people who are trying to be like, guys, come on, quit freaking out. Like, okay, well, please tell me, like, you want to talk about something positive. Please, let's talk about it. Trey Jackson Davis, there is a real positive for this team. But when everything yep. sort of surrounding him that's happening on both ends of the court and against the competition and what's happened the past two years, you know, it's like we're not all freaking out about the Arkansas game. We're freaking out about – the previous two and a half seasons and the previous 20 seasons before that. And, and, and that's a great point. There's nobody, there's nobody saying, guys, guys, look, think about X, Y, Z, L, and S. All these reasons that actually we are headed in the right direction. So just, it's cool. The only thing I can find is really good work with the in-state recruiting and, and, of course, that's all going to come to a head if, for, with the 2021 class. You know, that could be enough to get us back into the conversation of a, of, a, of a deep run in the tournament team if he can land a couple of those guys. But as he said, there's a lot of road to drive between now and then. And, and if he can't prove that he can get the most out of what he only has, he might not get the shiny toys that he needs to take us to the next level. Yep. And I want to say one other thing, because this everybody's situation that they walk into is different, obviously. You know, Chris Mack and Chris Holtman and Chris Beard, all the Chris's, and uh, Jawan Howard and uh, Eric Musselman at Arkansas. And, you know, I mean, everybody's situation, Tony Bennett at Virginia many years ago, everybody's situation is different. I get it. Archie walked into a situation that had challenges that may be a little bit harder to see than most, but they're every bit as daunting. I get all of that. But I am just finding it harder and harder to stomach the rationale that you almost have to believe that Archie's situation that he walked into was so much worse than everyone else's, like everyone, every other really good coach's scenario at a really – good school with decent to great basketball history. Everybody's situation was better. The right coach gets the right player to play for him and to perform above expectations. And then that coach can either just continue to roll with where he's at, a la Gonzaga or Wichita State, or that coach can take a a step up to, to a Cadillac of programs like we have. And, you know, it was like, if Archie had stayed at Dayton, could he have built that into a Gonzaga or a Wichita State? I don't know. Maybe. But we were like, hey, let us give you the keys to a Cadillac, which is the Indiana University program, that he, he helped and demanded get more up to speed with the other top programs. And, and I think no matter what, we've all got to be grateful Archie's in there telling them what they really need to compete at the highest level. But now he's got to do his share, too which is start showing up yeah. everybody on the floor, at least within the state of Indiana, send your kids to this guy because he's going to get the most out of them as an individual and as a team, and he is going to bring us back. And I just don't know what those AAU coaches, the high school coaches, the parents are seeing right now to lead them to believe going to Bloomington is going to be the best for their kids on the court. 
Well, and I will say this in, in the defense of the staff, everything we have heard up until this point, and I understand your point is what's going to happen in the future if it continues. On the court. On the court. Yes. But, but everything we've heard from, a, from people that talk to AAU coaches, talk to parents, talk to high school coaches, is they love what Archie is doing. Like that, that coaches within the state of Indiana are happy if their kids go to Indiana that we've had conversations on our podcast and off our podcast where we know that AAU coaches didn't like sending their kids to Crean the last several years. We know that. But they do like Indiana, and they do like Archie. He is connected with them in a good way. It's, and he has improved the facilities. That stuff is great. There has been some apathy that has set in in the student fan base, no doubt. Now, I don't know if that's just normal for what's going on in 2019 with 18 to 22-year-olds, but Indiana's supposed to be special, and our students have not filled the arena the way that they did before. And it, of course, is because we're just not as good. It's, yeah. it's sustained mediocrity. I get that. But everything happening around the court, although I, I do put an asterisk on recruiting because again, look at Crean's recruiting his first many years at Indiana. And I don't think you could say that Archie's recruiting his first three years is significantly better than Tom Crean's recruiting his first several years. I mean, it is. Tom Crean, right? Do you agree with that? No, but, but what Archie, as you pointed to, Archie's, has developed the relationships and the respect personally that will allow him more sustained success within the state. Yes. Uh, Agreed. But, Agreed. But, but now I think he's got to be coming up against a lot of head scratching of like, yeah, well, we really like him, but gosh, the team just, they're not playing that well. And so then, you know, whereas maybe, you know, oh, hey, Tom Crean's got the number one team in the country on the floor in what, his, his fifth season? Uh, uh, yeah, and, and in the fourth season, and in the fourth season, went to the Sweet Sixteen and beat the number one team in the country. And again, yeah, yeah. again, walked into a situation that we both agree was much worse than what Archie walked into. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, so yeah, so that, he's got to prove it on the court. He's got to prove it on the court because I think you know, and he's not a rah rah guy, and he's not. Uh, outwardly, publicly, uh, this very charismatic guy, our great ambassador for the school. Everything again you hear personally and how uh, people connect with him, uh, that that's, that's a positive. Those are good check marks. But when you're not landing the, the point guards you need, you know, when you're not right. getting in-state, out-of-state, I don't care. If you're a Division One point guard yourself and you publicly state that the point guard is the most important position in college basketball for you and you're not you're not landing those guys enough to where all we're talking about this season is our lack of point guard depth and and yeah. whether somebody's hurt or somebody throws a stupid elbow into somebody's face there's always going to be something that goes wrong or unexpected uh, uh in a given game in a given play but as a coach, at the end of the day, you're the one who's got to be responsible for, well, night in and night out, season in and season out. I've got enough tools in the tool shed to get the job done consistently. And, you know, we're, we're well into the third season here, and 
and it just doesn't seem like we have he doesn't have what he needs to show success on the court. And I think no matter how much he does a good job of being a basketball guy, we keep hearing about, well, he's a basketball guy. He just loves the game. He just loves the coach. Great. Show me how you've got three and four star players on the court playing their asses off as a team right. with grit and with fire. And I love seeing Trace fired up out there. That is not Agreed. seen in a long time. And hopefully that starts to spread. But at the end of the day, it all goes back to the coach in college basketball, and, and we just all need to start seeing it on the court because facilities, recruiting, what people think of them personally, none of that matters if we're not seeing progress on the floor. Agreed, totally. And, and you brought up the point that Dane Fife brought up, that Archie's a ball coach. He just wants to coach ball. And you and I talked about this a long time ago. Well, I say a long time ago, like maybe six months ago. (laughs) uh, And I had this in in an exchange earlier, I think with Jared and Evan, where we were talking about his success at Dayton. And I think my point was, I think at Dayton, it's enough to be a ball coach. Like, that's all you have to be. But at these higher level programs, I don't know if it's enough to just be a ball coach. I think that you got to do – there is something extra that has to happen at Indiana. You have to win these recruiting battles for not just one guy in a class, but multiple top-level talent. And I'm not talking about one-and-done five-stars. I'm talking about impact players that can come in and make a difference freshman year. You know, not score 20 points a game, not saying that, but – play 15 minutes in a game and really make a real impact and have multiple guys like that, that you can rely on. Does he have, does he have all the tools in his bag to succeed at Indiana? I hope to the basketball gods he does because we love him. We love what he stands for. We want him to succeed. We support him. But as you said, you got to do it on the court. And what we've seen on the court up until December 31st, 2019, isn't good enough yet. And he's got time. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, surely it's inconclusive. But if all you had to judge was this much, it's not good enough. Nope. Nope. So he's got time. We've got 18 more games against Big Ten teams where he is going to have a chance twice a week for most weeks against good teams to prove that he can make the whole greater than the sum of the parts. And we are praying that he can, and we will support it. But you made, I think, the best point that you've ever made in your life, by the way, which Uh isn't saying a lot. But, But your point is we are not reacting to a loss against Arkansas. We are not reacting to just an overtime win against Nebraska. We are reacting to not even two and a half years of just waiting to turn the corner. We are reacting to 17 years of frustration. And, uh, and, and that, that when we have games, they give us the impetus to blow up and to – kind of rip the, the, the Band-Aid off and go crazy, but 
it's not about that one game. It's about the overall direction, and we just need consistent proof that it's headed in the right way on the court, and we just can't push our chips into the ta- on the center of the table yet and say, we see it, here's our bet. That's what's frustrating. That is what is, for me personally, that is what's extremely frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not it's not the way you want to enter a new decade, but uh at least we'll be doing it with with other people who who love Indiana basketball. Yep, and we'll have more interviews coming up starting next week. Well, let's let's hope it's a happy Hoosier New Year, but if nothing else, hopefully just for you and your family and all our listeners and their friends and family, we're we're going into 2020 with uh, with everybody in good health and ready to have a great a great new decade. Happy New Year to everybody! Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No e, no i, but the sometimes y. <laughs> you just something like you just that. Bare knuckle hanging on. To like how to pull that off every time now. It's I know. It's, sure it's a high wire act. It's <laughs> a high wire act. All right, buddy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to every Hoosier out there. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Some people just know there's a better way to do things. Like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So... Do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.